pastors, four pastors who want to share ideas, become better shepherds, and have a good time with friends. I'm one of the hosts. I'm Frank Gill. I'm up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. All the way in Baltimore, Maryland, my buddy Jeff Simpson. Down in Sumter, South what Carolina. What was that? That's my how buddy people say hi in Baltimore. Bonjour. Together, streaming from beautiful Safety Harbor, Florida, we have Andrew Larson. Hey, hey, hey. And Timothy Miller. Hello, world. That was the most awkward introduction. <laughs> I know. So bad. Also, Dell, did you notice how perfectly in sync our last coffee drink was? It, it, it was like it was poetic almost. Go back and watch it. <laughs> Guys, how we doing? I'm refreshed. I got back from Florida. Uh, so far, COVID-free. Uh, I am. So I've, ate, I've eaten like seven Cuban sandwiches. I had a Publix cake. Literally every I, I ticked off I, I like ticked off the Florida checklist. You gotta do it, man. Um, it was it was it was amazing. How you guys doing? My building Frank, flooded was... twice in the last week, so that was fun. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, what? And you had to cancel services. And I had to cancel service because of rain. It's a, yeah, pretty it's good. A great week for you. Yeah, we have wow. these things up here called basements, and uh, <laughs> if you don't watch out when it rains hard and it flash floods, you can get water in it. So this is a good time, but we're all good. We lost two reams of paper, and that's it because we kept things off the floor last time. Of flooded. Smart. I had to Dang. call the police last night because I caught someone trying to break into the church on the security camera. Ooh. Ooh. That was exciting. Always fun. Wow. And then the cops showed up. That's... Yeah, they showed up, and I talked to them through the security camera. It was very senior pastory of me. I said, <laughs> no, we don't want to press charges. We're just concerned for his heart, and uh, it was good. <laughs> And you gave him the stuff he was stealing anyway, like Les Mis. That's right. It was like the silver. He was trying to go. He was trying to go through our after-hours delivery bin, and so I told the deputy, I was like, "The best case scenario is he's going to get forty dollars worth of Office Depot supplies." So I don't know what he's looking for in there, but whatever. Good luck. Have you guys um, wow. ever have ever had someone break into your church and like stolen something before that you're aware of? Yes, we That's had. Awesome youth group kids mastermind a break-in of several houses in the neighborhood around my previous church and then they broke into the church building and stole thousands of dollars worth of sound equipment wow which was uh then sold on craigslist and uh they both went to jail fortunately it was the homeowners nearby the church that pressed the charges so we didn't have to be the ones to press the charges against the kids in our youth group wow I know, I know, um, uh, in, uh, my, what well, we have a campus that we just purchased that we're in the process of remodeling. So, but it's been empty for years. And, um, one day our, our camp, our like uh, facility person was going to go over there to mow the, the, the grass. And he saw that the, there was a window that was broken into. And, um, and so he went inside to investigate and like, luckily it's a pretty empty building. But we were housing all of our equipment that we were using for our mobile campus for that campus. So, like, there's literally thousands and thousands of dollars of equipment, but all none of it was taken. on wheels, probably. Right? All in cases. It's very mobile. Oh but, but luckily, nothing was gone. My, our guess is he came in, saw it, and was like, we need to get a truck. But he left. But what was crazy is when he broke the window, however he broke it, he cut his hand. And so there was a bloody glove on the floor, which, like... I don't, I don't know how true CSI is, but we have his DNA and, uh, and, uh, but like, and you have his bloody glove. <laughs> yeah. So Very we, OJ-esque. we, we, we boarded up the window and, uh, we got all of the 
the equipment out of that building. So now it's basically just a big shell. But um, but luckily nothing was stolen. But it was pretty scary because we did just purchased wow. that building like a month before. Looking for the but, one glove, bloody hand bandit. Do you know what's even more fun than than church thievery? It's uh, it's senior pastors' mics getting left on oh. after they preach. Yeah, I, I saw. Please that. tell me that happened. Oh, it absolutely happened. To it my happened right to me. You didn't go and like that, pee, did you? I hope you did. No, I didn't pee. Okay. I just sang my little heart out. <laughs> And it was not good. It was. It it was not. Was that good. on the Some, stream, dude? The oh Lord, yeah. The Lord is smiling so hard and on you right now. My my parents texted me because they were watching from home, <laughs> and they're like, "Hey, we enjoyed your solo." That's uh. And all the blood left your face. And so then I go up to do the benediction. It was so you know, after the sermon, closing song, and then benediction. And I'm like, so I just got a text message that my microphone was on and uh we will be deleting this video immediately it was not deleted <laughs> it was we we cut that section out and just Good. posted it and I, I just shared it on my personal page so if you if you want to hear andrew's angelic voice head I on saw it. we need to share Facebook that to the practically pastoring facebook we group too oh, we'll, we'll, andrew yeah, i saw yeah. it it was it made my past worship leader heart smile though because i <laughs> i would have been like my pastor's actually singing yeah <laughs> It was not my proudest moment. It was whenever, it whenever was I get great. handed a, a mic pack from the sound guy, and they're like, "You could leave it on. I'll just mute it." I'm like, "Nope, not trusting." Nope. You. Like, I, yeah. I, That's I, switch. I, I know. I enough always, about... I always unplug the mic from the pack before I go to the bathroom. <laughs> nice. That's just in case. Just in case that kind of wireless doesn't work. I shoot videos with um with my brother. We do weddings, you know, and uh, it's it's crazy. We put the mics on the people, and they just forget that they were being recorded. And uh, we we have a litany of things that we definitely can't put in those highlight videos. That's how funny <laughs> like reality TV works. It's I mean, people just forget. They do. I mean, because you think about it, husband and wife just get married. They walk into the vestibule area. You know what he's whispering into her ear? We got all that. It's <laughs> you yeah. know too. Hey, I know so, too, as I don't need to know, but I know. You can suddenly charge a whole lot more for that video. Yes, <laughs> I can. <laughs> yeah. Guys, um, I am I'm super excited that we're back together. Before we dive into the clergy cliff notes, um, I want to uh make a couple uh announcements. Obviously, you know, we we have, have great reviews on iTunes, if you're not aware, like a lot of you guys um and ladies have said amazing things. If you haven't done so, if you listen to this an apple podcast i would love for you to go and and give us a nice five-star review if you think we're worth a five-star and that's a little um you know a couple of words explaining what you like about the show we really appreciate it helps us um and we are giving away as delmar is wearing right now a nice super soft super comfortable practically pastoring t-shirt and we have about like 20 shirts to give away and I went what, to disney world last week yeah. Some guy came up to me and said, I really like your t-shirt. Ooh. Nice. nice. And I said, oh, do you listen to the podcast? And he said, no, what's that? <laughs> but, but he liked oh, my t-shirt. Man. It's a good start. It is a good start. Well, if you want one of these shirts that, oh, by the way, have been given to us by uh, Sunday Cool, a great uh, t-shirt company down in Central Florida. 
Um, if you want one of these amazing shirts, all you got to do is, is do a couple of things. If you're not in the Facebook group, join our Facebook group. Okay. Practically pastoring type that in the search bar. It's in the show notes. Um, join our Facebook group. We have conversations throughout the week. We try, I've been forgetting this, but every single Sunday we do a highs and lows of how our service has been. And that's been kind of cool. Kind of just, you know, in, uh, uh, praising God for what's happening with other people, but also like lamenting together of our failures, like, you know, Andrew forgetting to turn off his mic and stuff like that. So good. And then, uh, and then we also have, uh, but we also want you to like, every pastor knows other pastors. So like invite other pastors to our Facebook group. Cause we want to get that Facebook group up to about 500 people. Um, same with our Instagram. We have, I think we actually, a lot of people joined our Instagram the past week. Um, I think we're at like, in the mid 300s, which is great. I want to see over 500. Uh, let's get 500 people following us on Instagram. So if you're not, if you're listening to us and you haven't followed us on Instagram, go follow and invite someone else as well as, um, um, uh, um, subscribing to the podcast. So Facebook group, Instagram, subscribe to the podcast. If you do all that stuff, there's a couple posts in both the Facebook group and Instagram, where if you comment underneath there, uh, that'll let us know you did these things and that you invited people and then your name will be in a drawing. And once we hit those 500 numbers, that is when we will start uh, choosing the people that are going to win these shirts. So that's where we are. I'm super excited. These shirts are great. And yeah, same thing as Andrew said, I've worn this shirt and people have been like, that's a cool shirt. And so it could be yours. Yeah, I gave so my hit. wife one and she has worn that shirt like two or three times in the last couple weeks. She says it's like the most comfortable shirt. She it's just wears soft. it everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. It's amazing. All right. So we got Woo. some clergy cliff notes. Uh, 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 Andrew, I would love to start with you because I actually read this article. And at first I was like, oh, this is dumb. I understand what's happening. And then I kept reading. I'm like, oh, I don't know how I feel about it anymore. So, Andrew, I would love for you to uh, kind of share with us what you got in your clergy cliff note. Well, uh, as you may or may not know, the sorry, I'm trying to pull up the article myself now so I can get names right. Um, Wheaton College removed their chaplain, Tim Blackman, from their faculty in the past week or so, and it's been a pretty big, messy thing. And apparently it comes down to what he says is a little bit of, of cultural misunderstanding. He is a black man who grew up in Denmark, I believe. And he says that some things just didn't quite translate between the different uh, cultures of his family's heritage and the American South and the European um, environment that he was raised in and then in Chicago. But some stuff just seems like a little bit of immaturity going on here. Uh, he made some comments that were perceived to be sexually suggestive to coworkers, which were not very well received. Apparently somebody in his last church over in Europe left a Karma Sutra book in his pastor's bookshelf. And so when he was packing up his books uh, or when he was unpacking his books, once he got to his office at Wheaton, he found it with a note from this former parishioner and thought it was hilarious and left it out on his desk, which if you are a Wheaton College chaplain and someone comes into your office and they see that laying on your desk, that's probably going to raise a few eyebrows. <laughs> um, and so now there's just a, he said, he said, she said, he said again, back and forth between uh, this gentleman and Wheaton. And of course, now RNS, the religious news service, has gotten involved and 
it's become a story because I mean, Wheaton is one of the flagpole institutions for American evangelicalism. And now they've got this kind of scandal going on. For, for Tim and I, one thing that makes this a little bit more of a, an interesting story is the, uh, the official university and then seminary of record within our denomination is also in Chicago. And that chaplain was fired about a year and a half ago as well for very, very different reasons. But here we have two of the most prominent religious institutions in Chicago removing their campus chaplains in very public fashions in just a short amount of time. And he's also now raised 19 grand on a GoFundMe go since he's I been saw fired. That. He's like, hey, I got fired, so why don't you help me start a new ministry instead of... And again, I'm not picking sides. I just don't know that... What a world we live in. That, that starting a GoFundMe after you get publicly fired... Severance? Been... Nah, GoFundMe. To be fair, I think it was a group of friends who started yeah. the GoFundMe oh, okay. for him. So I don't think yeah. it, was, it was him who started it. But yeah. But he's going to try to... He's got well over 20000 there, I believe. trying to start a new parachurch ministry and wants you to go fund him. I think... So when I moved to Milwaukee, I actually visited Chicago to check out some of these like historic Christian universities. Like I went to Moody. I went to Wheaton. And I actually... I actually... Um, I have a friend who's a pastor at a church in the... Com- in the community where Wheaton is at. And, uh, and Wheaton is like, one thing I've learned about the Midwest is that there are these pockets in the Midwest that feel like they were just transplanted from the South. Like Indianapolis, it feels like that. Um, and then for sure, there's these like suburbs in Chicago where it's like, it's way more conservative than the rest of the city. And it's, it's and like we, the Wheaton area especially feels like, you're in a small town uh, southern city where there's like a church on every corner type of thing. And it just feels so weird because the mid, the rest of the Midwest is not necessarily like that. Like it's very Midwestern values. Everyone's nice, but like they also don't put up with crap type of thing. So it's kind of like, I don't know. It's kind of a weird, it's an interesting place that coming from the South was, I had to adapt to this. But when I first read this, I was first tracking. I'm like, I get it. Like, Sometimes when you come from a a background where your like humor is a little drier or a little bit more I don't know messier or something like that, like coming to a conservative environment can be jarring, and it's like you're not doing anything wrong. You're just your sense of humor is maybe a little more blue than everyone else. But then when it started talking about like sexually explicit stuff or like making inappropriate comments to women, things like that. Like the Kama Sutra book that is, I, I do agree with you, Andrew. That was like a, a little immature move. Cause like at the end of the day, you are like, as much as we want to have a, a funny sense of humor and maybe even there's this desire to like transform the pastor into a new generation where we're not as like buttoned up and kind of like seen as, as like whatever pastors from the past, like we are still held to a higher standard and we still have to be above reproach, which is like, which is something that's a principle in scripture that surpass, surpasses all generations in time where we're called to like, not even have a hint of, of immorality or sin in our lives. Right. And so I think like when I read that, I was like off color jokes or whatever. Right. Like, that's fine. But like, when you're like making stuff that's maybe like, there was something about like, he asked a woman to sit on his lap or something. Right, like that was somewhere in the article. That's yeah, like, and then she wrote a letter saying, "No, no, no it was okay." <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I mean, I, I mean I, for me, a lot of this falls weird. under the category of prudence. Like, the, it, I don't know that I can necessarily say. I mean, some of the stuff in this article that he said seems like maybe it's crossing line into sin. But this isn't a church. This is a, you know, this is yeah. a, a school. So you can't. I don't think you can superimpose like church polity onto this. But I mean, right in the article, there's a quote where they, upon careful review, we looked into the the handbook that everybody agreed to. And his, you know, some of his jokes on multiple occasions cross the lines. I mean, they're a private employer. And like, I, I mean, I just think it's on you when you go somewhere. Like if that happens once, hey. And I mean, I don't know what pastor or would think it would be like a smart smart idea to leave a something like a Kama Sutra book on your desk. Like, I mean, even when I was a youth pastor, I just, I mean, just for the sake of, you know, youth come over, I mean the alcohol thing, like I just wouldn't keep beer in my fridge. And it wasn't because I was like, you know, it's a sin to have it in your house or anything. I'm, I'm okay with having some, but I just, for the sake of not, you know, creating that situation where things can be misconstrued. I mean, I just think it's a, it's a prudence thing. And on top of it, like I assume he has a family. So now his family is dealing with, you know, having for their, you yeah. know, the, the provider. To, Daddy's in the newspaper. Yeah. He, well, not only that, but now they have to like wear, Where's the income coming from? Because GoFundMe, huh? Go oh yeah, GoFundMe. But you know what I'm saying? Like I'm sure, I'm sure this is stressing his wife out. Yeah, and like that's something you got to think through as well. Like this is not just you and I don't know. I, I to me this is just I put this in the same category. Honestly, we we joked around last week about Jerry Falwell Jr. and his picture. Like this is in a very similar category for me of like very unwise. And it's it's unwise, but just to play devil's advocate, you know the the history of Wheaton, and, and none of us went to Wheaton. I don't think any of us have really, you know, none of us are here trying to be anti Wheaton either. But Wheaton, you know, the the building I'm trying to think of the name of like their big famous hall, but I mean, it was built after the Scopes Monkey Trials in Tennessee, and it was built mm. to look like a fortress to be like, no, no, we are going to be this fortress of fundamental thought and we are going to you know keep the rest of the world out and so when wheaton goes and they hire someone like this i'm sure the conversation is something like hey we're not your grandpa's wheaton anymore we don't want to be this school we want to be a school that is reaching people who will then go out and reach people we want to disciple a a different not a different type of thought but we want to be open to change so that by all means we might reach those for Christ that we haven't been reaching. And so when they hire him, he's like, well, this is great. This is, this is a fit because, you know, yeah, I'm not quite in the same vein as what historically this school has been, you know, theologically. Yes, I'm there, but I'm going to make sex jokes and I'm going to do this and I'm going to be kind of funny, but institutions like that, you know, it's like the speedboat speedboat versus the uh, aircraft carrier. You know, you can't change the culture of an institution just by showing up. Well, I think that we really have to take into consideration. We do struggle with this on some level as pastors because we want to seem human to other people. And I can see how you can go down this slope. You know, like um, I was meeting with a pastor the other day and uh, he said, I took out um, a congregant the other day and he wouldn't connect with me. Um, He was just a a good old boy. And uh, he said, so I just made the decision. um, I'm going to cuss. And I'm like, you what? He said, yeah. 
Um, so the pastor, I mean, he, it, it was, it was a, a low grade cuss word. He used like hell, <laughs> you know, grade. so it was like a low grade, like it was, it a, would, P, it was a PG cuss word. Yeah, yes. it was a PG. Yeah. It, it would have <laughs> passed, um, my homeschooler test, you know, but like, I guess the point being made, he, he said, you know, what the hell? And he says, it was interesting. He watched this whole person, person's countenance change and they were like, oh, let's talk. So, mm. so I'm not saying ends justify the means. I don't know. For him, it was calculated. He said, I'm going to do this. It's going to help me be relational. But I also think you have to have like the brakes on that slope. So you know that you're not putting a sex book on your desk at work, you know? Um, so like, I, I do see like, like you say, given I see the benefit of the doubt where he may have been trying to do, I'm just trying to seem like an average dude, but like there has to be to be a line. And I think a lot, I'm noticing a theme in some of the conversations we have on the podcast. And that really is like a lot of pastors seem to be struggling um, with just like, where can I be a man or a woman? Where can I just be a human um, versus I am a person who has authority and I, and I am a person who needs to carry myself a certain way. And I think you just, you, you hit the nail on the head on something that I, I believe. And if we're not careful, I think like there's a generation of pastors coming up that has been so jaded by like how the pastor has been for decades that they're, that, that they might slowly morph into a direction. Um, I'm not trying to speak prophetically at all. This is all anecdotal, but like taking a direction that almost um, weakens the weight and the authority of the pastorate. But like, I, I think that like the, the pastor is a unique role where if, if I worked at Popeye's and I go through a divorce, I still can go to Popeye's the next day and work, right? But if I go through a divorce as a pastor, that cataclysmically affects my vocation, right? For good or for bad. I don't know. Like, obviously, every denomination is different and stuff like that. But, like, there is unique standards that the pastorate has that literally no other field, no other uh, CEO-level position in any other uh, environment will have to deal with where your character is far more important than even your adequacy at the position. Yeah. 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 Where like there are CEOs who are at companies because they inherited it because their dad was a CEO. Right. Like where, where like in the church, it's like your character is, 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 is judged more critically for good or for bad, but also like your life is intrinsic with your vocation. And so therefore it, when I think when the scripture says like when you're taking and obviously we're we're talking all this about a story about a guy who's not a pastor he's a chaplain right. he's I, I don't know I don't I, I, I gotta be careful I don't want to offend anybody who's a chaplain chaplain no, he's unique. he's an he is an ordained minister yeah yeah, he's, yeah. he he's was a, a pastor in the Netherlands I think it's yeah right you're right so he his, this conversation is still relevant for him but I guess I guess my point is this is like there is a level of like um. I don't want to say the word fear, but like caution that everybody should take when they're taking the role of the pastor, because this isn't like a startup or just some random company where like, hey, I'll figure it out. I'll fail. Like there is need to be like some mindful mentors in your life and, and discipline because there's standards in scripture we're held to. And, and I, it's, think, I think that's why this is difficult. a reoccurring theme on this show, Frank, mm-hmm. because this is the world that we live in right now of how how much is too much to, to to show to showcase what do i need to hold in do i need to have my idiot's guide to kama sutra out on my desk probably don't need to have that out on my desk but it's it's a story that we That's read almost I have every mine memorized week. Oh, of course you do andrew 
No, for me, it's just straight Bible though, right? This is James 3. Not many of you should become teachers for you know that who you teach will be judged with greater strictness, you know? And like, for me, that really is speaking, it's to the here and now. Like we are going to be held even to the standard by our 15-year-old teenagers in our congregation to to a higher standard. And uh, having that is definitely um, tucked in is, I think for me, that's got to be a guiding principle is like, yes, we, we should be relatable. We should be fun. But at the same time, you can never just take that hat off. You just can't. It's kind of like if you're, uh, if your best friend, if, if you work with your best friend, but you're also kind of like his superior, he's your best friend. But in some space, you're always wearing that hat, whether you want to or not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's one well, of the things also, it's like, I mean, in a similar vein is like, work like if your wife works in church with you that could be really weird you know what i'm saying it's like it's like i'm aware <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like and maybe that's you know what i'm gonna shelve that conversation because that might be a good conversation for another day because there's these i think when you're young and you know like you just started in the ministry there's this like desire like wait i can get my wife a job at the church and this will be awesome and you're like uh it, it's not always that awesome and we just, so we should talk about that one day hey um I, Andrew, I appreciate it. that was a really good conversation. I, I, I would that- I would push back on a little bit on this continued conversation, Frank. You've, uh, in I mean we're, we we're friends, we go back a long time, but um, you've used that example of like if I worked at Popeyes, uh, yeah. you know I wouldn't think about it. I actually am beginning to I, I I'm not sure that I agree with that. I think that's a that's a very evangelical Americanized version of church polity that I'm not sure is true because. Um, all Christians have the same calling on their life. That's what the word vocation means. It comes from the Latin word calling or voice. So I I do think as Protestants, we believe in the priesthood of believers. I, do, I think we have to be careful that we're not making a clergy lady divide again, where we're saying only us have this specific role and only we feel this pressure. Um, I get it. And I, I mean, I live in it and that's the world I live in too. But even like, Dell, you know, you you said from James three that the next verse, James says, "For we all stumble in many ways." So you see this connection between like there is a particular role that we play, but I don't think that that means that every other Christian. There's a sense in which you should be thinking about your character if you're a Christian and you're frying chicken at Popeyes, because for that time, that is the calling that God has He has placed you in that place. And, you know, I, I think if we do that, what we do is minimize people's understanding that, that they are also part of the priesthood. Like they are also the way that God is coming to people. And if we, you know, I think it's dangerous to, to, to continually say like, oh, pastors have this unique pressure because that just feeds into that idea that the only way I can serve God is to be a missionary or a pastor. Mm-hmm. And I can't really, you know, I can't be on mission if I'm just frying chicken. I do the frying chicken thing like on this other time that's like separated from my spiritual life. And then I go do the mission stuff with the church as opposed to seeing like every air, every aspect of every part of your life is you living on mission because of that's your identity now. So uh, I, I, I'm, and I, I know I you didn't. I know you're not trying to yeah. perpetuate that. I'm just. I just wanted and I, to. And like, and on the other side, I think one thing I try to do often in my interpersonal relationships with people at my church is I try to say, I am a human just like everyone else, and I'm a sinner just like everyone else, and I and, and I have my own struggles. And one thing I don't want to have is to say that like I'm a holier Christian than everyone else because I'm a pastor. Um, I think though, 
and I agree with what you're saying. And I, and I think that to, to, to stop that divide as much as possible, I think should be a thing that we should desire. I do think though, whether it's anecdotally or just practically speaking, it's like, you're not getting fired from Popeye's. Even right. No, I, I think it's a unique yeah. issue that happens when we are paid full time yeah. to yeah. do the work of ministry. That is, I, I think that unpaid and bivocational pastors have a unique view on this, that those of us who are full time paid to be in ministry should take heed and understand because they, I, I mean, when I've been around bivo guys or guys that aren't paid at all, like especially in my denomination, a lot of the churches that are not white, like the ethnic churches, are guys that are not paid full time. And so they have a very, I think, a, maybe a lot more biblical view of their calling in life because they see their quote unquote secular workplace as equal to ministry as what they do at their church. And I think that if our churches were full of people who thought that way, you know, a lot of the a lot of the kind of frustration and like um, and, and disappointment maybe we feel as ministers about our people's lack of evangelism would have a diff very different flavor, you know, but I know in my context, it's like people really have that separation thing where they think like, yeah, yeah, I do my job to just make money to earn a living. They don't see that like that's where God has placed me, you know. Yeah, I think it comes that. down to the GoFundMe, though. You know, it's the if if you get fired from Popeye's Chicken. I, by the way, T-Mobile Tuesday. We love Popeye's. Ago, I don't, I don't yeah, know. Pop, Spicy if, chicken. It's Popeye's. If you want to sponsor us, we well, won't forget, tell Chick Fil A. Forget I'll be wearing about a Popeye's shirt forever on this podcast. For, forget about forget about the chicken sandwiches. Those mashed potatoes. I don't even like Chick Fil A. I, I, I love either. me some Popeye's mashed potatoes. But we're, three of us have our Chick Fil A cups going. But you know, it's the the thing with ministry is you're you're hired for the, for your competence. Very rarely is someone hired based on ooh, this person has such great character, mm. we should hire them. No, you are hired based on your competence, but then you're fired based on your character, mm, and that good. is what is such a difference between most. That's so good. And in and, the American like church, saying, a lot of times competence isn't even necessarily biblical values. It's just no. numbers and exactly. Right. It's it's the what can you do for me that somebody else wasn't doing, but mm -hmm. it's your character that gets you in trouble. Which is why we're discussing this whole thing with yeah. with Wheaton anyway. And which is why last week the Jerry Falwell conversation. Yeah. I mean, say what you will about the guy, but look at what the, where the school was 15 years ago compared mm -hmm. to where Liberty is now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's a whole lot of competence that competence. was there. But well, and then for those of you who watched the Elephant yeah. Room, remember we watched that. Yeah, all yeah, those yeah. pastors taught like yeah. so much competence in that room. You know, like yeah. those guys. I mean, honestly, they could grow a business. On oh, yeah. you know, you you could throw them in anything. They can make the numbers. They can work people. But why are half of them not in the ministry anymore? It's what you just said, bro. It's character. I think yeah. Kerry Newhoff says competence will get you in the room, but character will keep you there. It's a good way to put it. I think, Boom. too, like we talked about past generations of pastors. I think the turnoff for myself when I'm around, you know, that that retirement age pastor now who is it, it's the hypocrisy that you see where they're 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 one way when they're quote on quote unquote, you know, they flip the switch on and they're another way when they flip the switch off. And I know for myself part of the desire is I don't want to have a switch. Like I just want to be the same person, whether I'm on the platform or not, you know, my same kind of personality comes out. But I think what the danger is that that doesn't mean that I need to let my immaturity just stay all the time. Like at some point my maturity has to grow to where 
I'm not being hypocritical. My personality is just my personality everywhere, but it's a growing, maturing personality. You know, it's not like I'm faking it because I'm the pastor while I'm in, in the church office and when I'm preaching and then the rest of the time I can crack a joke. It's like, you know what I'm saying? The immaturity of my joking even should be growing. That's good. Well, guys, this was a great discussion. Um, and I appreciate the pushback, Jeff. That that, that I'm here to push can, you. Everyone, <laughs> everyone. Uh, iron, sharpen iron. I know. I, just, I do think though, like this is a good microcosm of like what I wish most Christians can do when they disagree, or not even disagree, but like challenge someone's thought, is is to be able to do it in grace. And I don't know. I'm on like a high horse about that because I just don't see anyone. It's like you disagree, blocked or whatever. Anyway, yeah, you're blocked. Um, it's Jeff, more like we're we're kind of completing one another's like ideas. Yeah, that's how I see it. You know, that's more healthy discussion. Jeff, I would love to hear your clergy cliff note. Okay, so uh, I um, saw this on Apple News, but it's a Gospel Coalition um, article referencing a study that was done, and the article is called Survey, colon, Majority of American Christians Don't Believe the Gospel. Now, I will say right offhand, some of the quotes in here are kind of funny to me because I don't know who these surveyors are around, but uh, you know, it, it basically is saying that um, a majority of people who describe themselves as Christians actually believe in a works-oriented, um, ex- you know, gospel or or the way you get to heaven is by works. Which, I mean, maybe as pastors, that's not shocking to me because that's, I mean, almost everybody I know in my church, when you come down to it, has some form of this in there. Even myself, you know, I even catch myself like trying to earn God's favor somehow. But. Um, this was a. Uh, it was released by the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University on August fourth. The article is from the ninth, um, and Joe Carter is the uh, the author at the at the TGC article. But I have the actual report pulled up, and I have full release number eight views of sin and salvation. I just had highlighted a few things. Um, so this is talking about the irrelevance of sin. Uh, And this is what the article or the research says. Amazingly, a majority of people who describe themselves as Christian, 52 percent, accept a works oriented means of God's acceptance. Even more shocking, however, is that a huge proportion of people associated with churches whose official doctrine says eternal salvation comes only from embracing Jesus Christ as Savior and not from being or doing good, believe that a person can qualify for heaven by being or doing good. Now, it said amazingly and shocking, but I'm neither amazed or shocked by that stat. <laughs> I mean, that's, a, that's like, that seems about right to me. Um, this was interesting, though. Uh, this salvation can be earned perspective fits well with other widely held views identified in the same survey that are at odds with biblical teaching, which includes these. Uh, 58% of people surveyed said there is no absolute moral truth. 58% said the basis of truth are factors or sources other than God. said right and wrong is determined by factors other than the Bible. 59% said the Bible is not the authoritative and true word of God. 69% said people are basically good. And 79% said the the personal definition of success is not based on consistent obedience to God. So there's some really interesting stuff in the survey, pastors, you know, I'd say it's worth your time to read it. Um, I just am reading a few highlights, but here's my couple of questions. Uh, I assume didn't did all of you basically grow up in the church or were around the church when you were young? Pastor's yeah. kid. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So I'm a youth group kid, all that. So here's my question. Like in thinking, like, how did we get here? Um, 
you know, I, my questions are like, what was your experience of Christianity as a kid? And what was the gospel that you heard? Mm. Mm. I could take that one. Um, growing up, I grew up just one extra altar call from being IFB. Like I was pretty, you know, independent <laughs> fundamental. That's independent um, fundamental Baptist for those of you who yeah, don't know. For those who don't know, um, like we were the King James only for the most part. And, you know, every now and then you might let a gospel group come in as long as you can pre-hear their music. Lots of yelling, amen. Yes, it really was. (laughs) Hey, man. (laughs) Um, But seriously, um, I went to a a camp when I was like 14, and that's when I started to feel the call to ministry for student ministry. And uh, I went back to my church that summer, and I I realized I had this little epiphany. I don't know if a deacon at this church could actually share the gospel with me. Like – I knew it because I had been hearing it at work. I was like, I, f- I know my deacons, and I, I, I care about them. They're nice enough guys, but, um, you know, I don't know if they did. So, so I actually, as soon as I got my license, I started driving. Ironically enough, I drove and visited the church that I'm now serving at, and I went there two months, and no one spoke to me. I'm like, I'm never coming to this church again. <laughs> so I actually left this church, um, and I ended up, uh, my friend, I brought him to visit this church, and he was like a couple years older than me. He goes, you need to come to my church. We're not a, we got a youth thing, but you just need to come. And uh, I went and visited him, and his church just met at his pastor's house. And uh, it was a um, Presbyterian church, Westminster Press. Um, and they, they're the more conservative branch of Presbyterian church. And the students there were using words that I had never heard before. And I'm like, what is this mysticism I'm hearing about? But I'm intrigued. And, uh, and honestly, the student pastor there took me under his wing and started discipling me. Now, if you know anything, when you go from an IFB church to a conservative Presbyterian Calvinist church, you're going to be Uh-oh. rubbed wrong a few ways. Um, so I, I told my youth pastor to go get his college degree money back, <laughs> you know, Oh my gosh, I, I said, man. they made you a heretic. And then he just gave me a Bible. He said, well, just read it and ask God to help you believe what he wants you to believe, not what you want to believe. And, and, and that's a whole different road. But, but I guess the point I'm trying to make was, man, it took me three churches and a whole denomination shift in my own town before I found some people who would, who would articulate the gospel, who would love me through my, uh, my pride and my arrogance. Um, so I, I do think that, but if you would have gone to any of these other, I'm not saying that it wasn't in the current church I'm at, but it wasn't in the space that I was there in the student ministry. I mean, it wasn't, I mean, I went to youth and they threw a roll of toilet paper out and the youth pastor was like, roll it back up. And they're like, we can't, he goes, and you can't take back what you see, what you say either. Let's have some pizza. Like there was no, so it was more about morality than. It was absolute morality. The, the yeah. youth group I grew up in, or the church I grew up in, it was about morality, reading the right version of the Bible, singing the songs the right way, having the right color of the carpet. And I think that that's actually, um, I don't know what it is in y'all side of the country. It's still buried in here really thick, the moral the moral living. And that's why, to be honest, um, regardless of where you land on, you know, monergism and synergism, for me, the first time I heard, like, you don't play near as big of a part in this thing as you think you do, um, that just pulled the the carpet out from under my feet. I, 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 uh, I don't know. Andrew, you can, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but I always felt like DTS – they produce like um, Dallas Seminary produces like a certain kind of pastor that creates certain kinds of churches. 
Um, like there, it's like most DTS pastors I've met have been like non-denominational pastors, and they have like this almost like a lot of them have this very s- similar like they preach expositionally and they love charts <laughs> and they love like <laughs> like like the like they really like they love information like giving out the information and they love like they have the Wednesday Bible studies where it's just like deep nuanced stuff and so like the before coming to my current church in Wisconsin. The only church I've ever been in have been churches pastored by Dallas Seminary people. And so my view of church has always been very like soft academic, if that makes sense. Like, yeah, like I need to like a theologian type of thing. Yeah. Learn but, more, but, learn more, learn more, learn more, learn more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's been also like um so kind of what Delmar said, it's like it's about like learning the right stuff, but like it's very specific stuff. Like obviously, like dispensationalism was a very big deal. Every like I learned much more about dispensationalism than I learned about like creation in the churches I grew up in. You know what I'm saying? Um, and it's one of those things where it's like, like I just remember, you know, when I was in middle school and high school, seeing these big charts of like all the things that happened during the rapture and all this other stuff. And and I heard and I and like I don't want to discredit my church. I learned the gospel there. I got saved there. I got, like they preached the truth, but it was more of like if you have the right information then that's what made you right. Not necessarily mm. like right behavior. So it, it was I don't Gnosticism. Say yeah. I, I, almost like that. And I, and, I, and I don't think that's because obviously I know Dallas seminary grads are, like, right. are amazing. Wait, Andrew's you don't necessarily think Gnosticism is bad. Is that what no, you're no, saying? He's off. Heresy. But what I'm saying is it's like, it's like, um, it's like uh, accidental Gnosticism is what yeah, I yeah. think happens in this show. That's fair. It's like, where it's like, they 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 have such like really smart congregants that could like explain to you certain Greek words without taking a single Greek class and all and like like they they soak in those like nerdy books that are, like charts and graphs about different Bible stories and timelines and all that stuff, but like and then they're like, a jerk to their wife. Exactly yeah. when it comes right. to like actually like loving your kids well and stuff like that and like within my church growing up. What and it doesn't happen until I started working there, but I saw the fruits of it earlier. It created this like patriarchal. Pre, I don't know how to say that word, but patriarchal is that Patriar- the right word? Is it? Patriarchal. patriarchal. There you go. Situation. I talked about. I talked about this last week where like the women were wearing head coverings and they were like oh, wow. reading "Growing Kids God's Way" and they had like these special <laughs> things to like whack kids and stuff. And, oh, I'm I'm a growing kids God's way dad. So <laughs> I, 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 careful. I might take some some issue with no, that. Can we get some pushback, please? Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> I took a growing kids guideway class, and I don't have. I did kids, too. Sixteen but, weeks. But but I took it, and I was like, I'm gonna be a way better father to my dog. Like I'm gonna like like when I punish you, I'm gonna explain to you so you understand why you're being disciplined. You know why, right? So you have and a really good dog now. I have the most obedient dog ever. But <laughs> but, but what I'm saying is this: is like I would. I'm sure you guys would agree. That though growing kids God away has really good biblical principles, it could right. be abused to a oh, oh absolutely. Like, yeah. Yeah. And homeboy's got daughters. Come on. I've got four sons. The stuff in that class has so little to do <laughs> with my boys mooning people out the front window or whatever else they may be doing. He doesn't cover that at all. He does not in that class. Like some guy that has two little girls. You know, painting himself <laughs> as the expert, but so, so I was gonna say, it's just like I think. So my upbringing growing up, there was a moment during Bible college, and then like especially, I would say more so in the past like five years, 
where I had to kind of un like peel back that like it's not about academics or like how much knowledge you have, but like practically speaking, the early Christ followers were like not in a demeaning way, simple people who practically understood what it meant to follow Jesus. And so like though there's a place for like education and academics, and I and I value that in my own life. I think um, that was almost idolized in my upbringing as a church. So therefore, there's a lot of head knowledge, but not a lot of practical Christian living, which I think with the data you just shared, Jeff, totally makes sense. It makes sense. And I know whenever I went to seminary, my pastor pulled me aside because he knows how I am as a human. And he said, uh, here, this is a great thing, but please don't become educated beyond your humility. And, And for me, I think that a lot of the world sees the church as a people who can articulate their holy book really well, but they don't necessarily live it out very well. And, uh, you know, I'm definitely a proponent of like, you know, the only, the way you share the gospel is using words, but it is definitely reinforced with the way you live. If necessary. If necessary. <laughs> I don't like that quote either. I used yeah. to love it though. Back in my emergent days, I faith loved comes it. through hearing. Sorry, came on. I think we could right. go through any any different faith system. And, you know, it's, uh, I I didn't grow up one altar call short of an IBF church, like my uh, or IFB church. My parents met at Bob Jones University. Yeah. That's, oh wow. That's, yeah, my parents met in freshman speech class at Bob Jones University. Um, my dad has multiple degrees from that fine institution. And oh, I did went they to wave Dallas at each Seminary other from the sidewalks. Or they, like, my, how did they? My mom transferred to a nursing school elsewhere, oh, okay. but um, and and then I went to Dallas Seminary. So my whole upbringing and uh, thought uh, pattern has been challenged here. So thanks, guys. But I, I don't think the issue is necessarily one system or one type of church versus the other. I think the issue is just discipleship in general. Yes, if you right. look at what you know, the the stats say that in the in let's take nineteen ninety or nineteen ninety five an average church member spent three hours a week at church. Yeah. And now 25, 30 years later, an average church member, someone that considers themselves an active member of a church might come spends, twice a month. Oh, I was going to say spends three hours a month at the church. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it's, it's not just that, you know, well, yes, we're adding more and more, you know, ideas of karma and works based salvation. Well, because we're watching way more streaming television, we're spending way less time at church. So, yeah, people's minds are going to get changed because they're not being discipled. And, you know, churches function differently than they did 25 or 30 years ago. And we used to think that discipleship only happens from the pulpit well, with you listening. And now there's more small groups right. than there were 25 or 30 years ago. So that's a big part of it as well. But it comes down to how much time you know, how, how much time are people actually spending being discipled? Because if you ask some, you know, it's the 10,000 hours principle. If you ask someone to be an expert on their faith, when truthfully they've only put, you know, maybe 200 hours into genuinely thinking about what they believe over the past five or 10 years, they're not going to believe rightly. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up that discipleship piece too. My, my upbringing was uh, a Southern Baptist. And it was all about the sinner's prayer. So it was how quickly Bro. can we get someone to say the prayer? We had challenges for how many how many people can you lead to the Lord? I went to, man, I don't know if you guys heard of this camp. It was Frontliners Camp. You heard of this? Mm-mm. The idea the idea was simple. A bunch of youth groups would get together. 
they would do two days of evangelism, quote unquote, evangelism training. And then we would do two days of door to door knocking. We were split into groups and the group who could quote, save the most people was awarded a gift card at the end of the camp. So I, mean, like, I was, about. I was fired up. You better believe that. And, and I would step in. So if we would get to the Romans road, and then I would, there were multiple times where, you know, we're knocking on doors and we're, we're, we're in the Romans road. Then I would insert myself right before the sinner's prayer, just so I Ooh. could notch that win and get the sinner's prayer from that person. And then we'd give them a card because we, we would travel. We would get, give them a card to whatever church we were, we were stationed at for our frontliners camp. So it was, it was heavy on how quickly can somebody say a prayer and here's a card to a church that you may or may not ever attend. So this whole idea of discipleship was just lost and it was all about man, can we get them to say a prayer? Because that is what it's all about. And, and to be fair, it was coming from a, I think it was coming from a good place. We have to, you know, say that I would wonder, you know, there's no way to track it now, but how many people that you handed a card to maybe, maybe one out of a hundred went to that church. And, and I mean, that's cool. I, you know, I think for me, like um, where I see this popping up in the people in my church currently, and I think there's a whole nother conversation about like, anecdotally in my mind, there's got to be a parallel between the people who took this survey. And I don't know about you guys, but I feel like I'm one of the only people my age that I know that's really involved in the church. Like many of the people that I know that, that are my age are not involved in a church. And there's like, how many friends from youth group are still involved in church? I mean, for me, it's like, it's pretty minimal, you know? So I'm one, that's what I'm saying. Like, what was the difference maker for people like us for me, I point to discipling relationships, one particular pastor who discipled me. And, and I think it was that it, to me, I'm, I'm becoming more and more convinced about the idea of practices. Um, you know, and you look at different, different streams of Christianity and church history and kind of the spirituality stream or the f- spiritual formation stream. And I was just, I just preached in John eight and Jesus there talks about, um, you know, the truth will set you free. And those of you who practice sin will become slaves to sin or enslaved to it. And it's this idea like what you practice is what you believe. I mean, Frank, you and I used to have a shirt with that um, slogan. And so, I, I mean, my experience in youth group was just that. It, the, the depth of discipleship practice was like a morning devo. Like that was it. There was no other practices in my life. There was nothing that touched my finances other than giving to the church. There was nothing that touched my time other than being at church. So there, was, there wasn't any of the spiritual disciplines that you see in church history that would ground me in a practice-based, faith-driven, like, you know, spiritual life that I think is what Jesus is talking about when he talks about abiding. So for me, I see this popping up in my church, and, and in Baltimore in particular, it's, a very, it's the oldest Catholic diocese in the country. So almost everybody here has a Catholic background, which means they still have this, like you, who was saying earlier, it's like still deep down in me. Like they still have a deep down in them. Like they view me as kind of the priest and I'm closer to God and they come to me and tell me stuff. And I just would say like, you know, younger pastors listening to this, this is one of those areas that you are going to, it's just going to take a long time and you just have to stay at it. And you just have to keep planting gospel seeds, even with people who have been church members for decades because you're just going to keep seeing this workspace thing pop itself up in how they act and what they believe and the way they just, it's like, they just want it's honestly workspace. Salvation is easier in a sense because I can, I know what I got. If I do this and this and this, then I'm good. But actually having faith and, and like aligning my life with, with the kingdom of God and following Christ, like that's hard because 
like there's nothing it, it, there's nothing there other than faith to ground me to, which is all you need. And that's, that's the, I mean, I think that's the paradox of the gospel. So um, yeah, that, I just wanted to bring that, that research up. I'm not shocked or amazed by it, but it is important. If there's one, if there's one part of my pastoral ministry where like, I'm not asking to evolve away from, like, I, I really appreciate all these new modern, like, non-denominational churches that are doing like really like edgy stuff and you know like i love michael todd's preaching style and i love like that kind of stuff but like where i diverge from a lot of that stuff is when it comes to like the necessity of because what you said the first thing that comes to my mind is of course it's like we don't pastors don't necessarily this is gonna sound really old-fashioned pastors don't preach the gospel anymore in their sermons you know what i'm saying like and i, and I know that's almost like it's like almost oddly traditional to say but like one thing we do in our sermon evals at our church is every time we preach there's a four we have to answer the question what's the gospel connection no matter where you are in scripture and i and I, and, and and that's one value that i really appreciate because especially where i'm at like you said jeff there's not a lot of people our age are in ministry but we also live in a what i would consider probably the the and probably you too jeff are in the few places that's becoming a post-christian community in america right where like you're not in the christian south anymore i run into a lot of people that are my age that had no church background growing up and it's so it's so odd for me yeah like they 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 don't know i'll uh, i remember i don't remember what bible story but it would be like i referenced noah and the ark and the guy was like what's that and i was like i've i've never run into this before what do you mean what's that I, my my student ministry first got here didn't know where Genesis was and like that's not a joke they didn't know where Genesis was in the Bible they knew it was the book of the Bible they didn't know it was the first book and so it's like it's like the the necessity to reinforce the gospel in your sermons is huge but I think also like what you said completely nails it is like we need to come back we need to step away from this performance-based church thing where we just have this really good, I think we can, we can still have really good production and a good, um, uh, you know, services are engaging, but man, discipleship is where like life change is transformed. And like what you said, like, I'm sure all of us can say the, the pivotal moment in our walk was when someone like pushed us there. Like someone showed us what it looked like. Someone challenged us. It wasn't necessarily the sermon on the stage that pushed us. It was the the deacon or the elder or the small group leader who said, let me show you what this looks like. And most of our people are not in small groups and most of our people don't have consistent discipleship. Their, 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 their devotional life is, is Bible, um, Bible app notifications of the verse of the day. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, that's not enough to sustain our faith. As, you know, I don't know. Well, my discipleship has to be the cumulative effect of a lot of conversations and lunches. Oh, gosh, yes. Sure. You know, and that's what I think that's what you're saying. Well, where I'm at is that stat you shared earlier, we get three hours a, mo- a month now for, for a lot of people. So here, here's just my thinking, just as, as a pastor and a communicator, you have at most three hours that they're giving you maybe by default. Why would we fluff up that three hours with something they can get off of a Ted talk? Like it really should be. I mean, this is a time ever where like Frank says, we have to be going, okay, here's your problem, but here's what the gospel, here's how the gospel interacts with your problem. And and if there's some other things that you might can pick up, sure, but it really is going to the core issue. And then I think even into our sermons, we need to build 
entrance ramps into the world of discipleship for our people. You know, um, one of the interest ramps is application at the end. Okay. Like show me the tall order that scripture says, like, I want to see that. So I know like, cause maybe that's going to draw me in, but also I think another great entrance ramp for, um, for, you know, just the discipleship process in our preaching, we should be talking about church history. Like we had an entire reformation where people were murdered to, to, to show the beauty of salvation based on faith alone, you know? And, and when we roll into it and say, well, faith alone, but you also have to make sure you, you quote this little prayer perfectly. Like now, what is it? You know, that's witchcraft, you know, like, what are we teaching them? So I think like, that's another entrance ramp. And then even if we do offer groups, and, and I think one of the other articles that has been shared for Cliff Notes today gets into that a little bit, like we have to have more entrance ramps to discipleship. Because for me, the thing that, that, that brought me to church was the church that I went to in high school was their knowledge of scripture. Um, but what kept me there was the people's desire to know me, you know, and like they poured into me, it was about three people who were just like, that's my dude. And, and I'm going to make a point to be something in his life. And I think we owe that to our people. Now the tension we're in right now, and hopefully there's an other side to some of this is how do you, how do you do that when most people are interacting through a screen right now? Um, I think that's a tension that a lot of pastors face. Um, and I think for me, one of the things I'm having to learn is the power to liking and responding to social media. Like how many times do I comment and then, and people just comment, 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 and I just like it. What would it be like to be like, let me practice a little emotional intelligence and say, Hey, you posted that, that you probably feel pretty bad right now, you know, and just engage. Cause right now people, they do want to respond. I did that in practically pastoring. Just so you know, if you're in the Facebook group, some of you are our Guinea pigs and thank you because you commented. And then we went in there and, uh, and we started responding to you under it because like genuinely we want to get to know you. And I found like our post became that much more engaging when it's, when it's a double-sided thing. Yeah. Uh, I want to transition to the next thing, but uh, before I do that, I want to say this cause I, I, I know sometimes when we when we mention other pastors, it sounds sometimes it almost sounds like a cheap shot. I want to make sure this this is on the record. I actually like really like Michael Todd. I've been watching his videos, and he yeah. comes from a different style of of church than me. It's a little more charismatic and and stuff like that. But like, dude, he talks about like repentance and mm-hmm. like and like fighting sin in a way that I haven't seen thirty young young thirty something pastors preach like like it's. It's really dope. And so I just want to make sure, like, I, I, I think all of us here have a very nuanced perspective on some of this stuff where it's like, there's very few pastors I'm just kind of like completely blocking out of my life. There's a lot right. of people where like, I can take the meat and spit out the bones. Yep. Some people Matter of fact, Michael more- Todd, if you want to come on the show, because we know oh. that you've been listening, <laughs> hey, I'll, I'll been, leave so you can come on. I clap when I preach now because of him. <laughs> um, hey, oh, that was a great uh, clergy cliff note time. I want to transition into what will be our main discussion, which I'm actually very interested because I don't have any kids. Um, all you four do. Um, you said you I had a love, dog that was like your kid. I do have a dog, but I mean, you that don't create count. children. So um, at least, I mean, Oops. hopefully we don't. <laughs> 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 Anyways, um, so I was. I want to talk about family ministry balance. If there's one thing I'm very self-aware of, um, the more I've done ministry is that um, when I'm passionate about an upcoming sermon or project or whatever, 
um, there's no boundaries. Like I will work all kinds of hours. I will, I will bring my work home. And, and, and so to have that consistency of having a balance is, is somewhat difficult for me, but since I don't have kids that there's a little bit more freedom for me, but that's probably not necessarily true for you guys. And I would love to know, and maybe our, our listeners um, have some thoughts or questions about this is how do you keep a good work and ministry and personal life balance. Therefore you're protecting your kids and your spouse. I could jump in here. I'm not a huge fan of the word balance because that says that we do this much ministry, then this much family. And then maybe at the end of the day, this gets the wobble. It's a misnomer. I agree. Scales, uh, because yeah. there are seasons of ministry that are going to be heavy. And my family knows that they're going to be heavy seasons of ministry. And then they also know that there are going to be seasons where I'm going to see daddy a whole lot more than other kids get to see their daddy. And so I, I see it as more of a rhythm in ministry and not necessarily a balance good. in family and ministry. So for me, I do have boundaries in place. Like many of you do. I do have a protected day off. I do try to get off my cell phone when I'm with my family. And those there's little things like that. But I think that the bigger piece here is not that it's I do this much family and then this much ministry. It's that I know and my family now knows that, hey, there are seasons where daddy's going to be uh, not as present. And then there's going to be times where we're going to get a whole lot of daddy. That's really, really awesome. Yeah, sharing take... your schedule. Oh, go ahead, Andrew. You want to talk? Oh, I was just going to say, you know, some of the, the best uh, ministry relationship advice is from Toby and Jim talking on The Office when Jim and Pam were going through their, their tough spot there in season nine. And it was kind of like the, you know, well, you know, she says, you know, if she could tough this out, it's going to be so great for our family. And Toby, who we all hate him, but he says something brilliant to the extent of, you know, well, how long it's kind of difficult to ask someone to be miserable indefinitely. Mm. And so, you know, there, there are seasons and there are times when, 40 hours a week, man, I wish, right. but to, to communicate to your family, Hey, for the next three weeks, this, this, and this has to happen. Mm -hmm. But once this is done, once we get to this point, we'll be able to do this, this, and this that we can't do now, or we'll be able to, you know, do this, that we haven't been doing then, you know, this church during a global pandemic caused a whole lot of extra hours and different kinds of hours here at the beginning. And then the past couple weeks, we were in Arkansas for two weeks and then came back and then just took off and did Disney for several days in the middle of a work week because there's the flexibility in ministry to do that. Where it was, yes, we worked really, really hard and things were chaotic, but we're also going to do this other extra stuff that we couldn't do. And so I think kind of you know a timestamp on here is how long the crazy is going to last. And then once this crazy is done, we're going to take extra recovery time more so than just a one day Sabbath or more so than just the guaranteed two weeks that you get in your contract or sure. whatever your employment agreement is. And so, you know, number one for, for us is to, to put a timestamp on whatever difficulty is going to be in. And then also just to let the kids be a part of whatever you're doing. You know, That's it's yeah. daddy, daddy is a pastor. Therefore we get to, right. my kids think it is so cool to invite their friends into dad's office. And part of that is the, the church that I grew up in. The pastor's office was this mausoleum looking room that, mm -hmm. you know, you couldn't touch anything and 
the only time anyone ever went in there was to get yelled at for something. And so my kids get to invite their friends into daddy's office and it becomes the post-church playground. I don't know how many things have been broken or how many Legos have been stepped on after church, you know, a couple of days later because kids were building something in here, but to invite the children into the process of, you know, Hey, if we're going to be here a lot, you're going to be here as well. And you get to do some extra things at the church that most other kids don't get a chance to do. If you want to sing Moana with the church sound system, we can turn on that sound <laughs> system awesome. and yep. crank it up. You know, we can, we can, you get access to things that other kids don't get access to mm. because of what daddy does. Yeah, yeah that's good. Um, I found in my family that you love your family well through helpful information. You know, like for me, it is, this is some stuff you might need to know that's coming. That's helpful. Um, for me, a lot of times Sunday night, when I get in, I say, Hey, just so you know, Thursday night is um, my long night this week and Tuesday is my early day. And, um, for me, like you love them through helpful information, but the, the double edged sword is you actually, you can hurt them through too much information. Right. So like, man, there's sometimes I don't, it's just tough and you come home and, uh, and it's hard to like leave that. And, and actually my father-in-law of all people gave me this great advice and it's actually very good. Um, he says he went and visited a pastor friend of his house one time, um, at his house one time and outside the house, there was a tree and it was just, the bark was worn off of it. And he's like, why is the bark worn off the tree? He goes, that's my problems tree. He said, every day when I get off work, I pass this tree to go into my house. I touch the tree and I, and that is me checking in. And, and like, I leave my problems on that tree. And the next day when I walk out and go back to work, I touch it again. That's my way of, it's like an emotional, but a very like real thing. And, and I, I, th I thought that was a really good way to help me like not bring too much information at home. Um, one of the ways I do to, to protect that, and I realize this may not be possible for a lot of people, but one of the things is for the most part, I don't work at home. I don't. Like the only thing I do at home is once the kids and my wife are asleep, I will edit this podcast, but that is fun because I love playing you guys back and forth. Look at your beautiful faces, you know, but like, let's just, I, I don't. And like, I even have a little office, but it's more like the man cave where my son likes to come in and play virtual reality. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's, I don't because I am a pretty, I'm a, I'm a three W two, you know? So, so I'm like, I gotta be the cheerleader even at home. I, I have a hard time shutting it off. So for me, having like I know when I walk in here, this is a protected place for me, then that helps me out. And then um, one other thing we do, and it's kind of a staff thing, and it's led from the top. And my pastor actually gave me permission to do this. My pastor over me, he says, listen, two nights a week, you, you, you give the Lord two nights a week, but the rest of the nights you need to be home with your family. He helps us protect that. Um, and, and then like you said, it's a ministry season. So like if it's VBS week, well, you know, you know what I'm saying? But like, if, if it's a, if it's a regular week and I'm having to push more than two, then, um, I have to answer to my wife because I've let her know that. I think for me, uh, my temptation is to always, uh, add a little bit more, a little bit more. I, I call it like the, I'll just do this real quick disease. Uh, where I'm like, oh, I can just do this real quick. I just do this real quick. And before I know it, I'm working like every night and every morning. So I think the principle underneath all of this conversation, because uh, for me, this is what I have to remind myself of. The principle underneath it is that 
your church needs you to be emotionally and spiritually healthy more than they need you to be productive. They need you to be productive, but your church needs a healthy leader more than it needs you to be some version of productivity that we worship as an idol in this country. Um, You know, we worship the idol of progress and productivity, but, but at the expense of health and how many leaders of big ministries have you seen burn themselves out or do something stupid? And so like, I would rather be a healthy leader who stays in my church for 30, 40 years, retires happy. My kids love the Lord and we have a great family than, than to build some big ministry. Like I, it just, it's not worth it to me because, um, I, you know, and, and I think one of the ways that I've seen pastors like kind of fail at this and where I, I see the danger is like the emotional availability for you, that you have for your wife and your children. Um, and, you know, I, I mean, in first Timothy, we, you know, we're told if you don't provide for your family, you're worse than an unbeliever and basically disqualified for ministry. But I, I think we read that and we only think of financial provision, but there is provision that comes and I'm speaking as, as a guy as the husband and the, and, you know, kind of the, the father in the home, there is a provision of your healthy emotional presence to your family that if you are not providing that, I think that you might need to grapple with the reality that you might be disqualified from ministry because the home is the proving ground for, for ministry life. Uh, and single guys, that doesn't exclude you, but I'm just saying, I think there's more to, if you can't provide for your family, there's more to that than just finances. I do think, you know, I do think there's something there with finances and that's a whole nother conversation. Um, and my wife was the bread earner for a number of years when we first got married, but that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying for me, the principle has to come back to like your family is your first ministry. And if, if you don't do that well, if you are willing to sacrifice that ministry for the sake of, you know, your, your church, uh, I, I think that that's, you're flipping things upside down because if you're a healthy leader, in your home and you're a healthy leader at church, that's going to be far better for your church um, than, than you being extra productive and, you know, kind of burning your soul out. So practically speaking, what I do is, again, I totally agree with what I think all of you have said. It's seasonal. Like ministry is not, it's just there's seasons, not only in seasons in ministry, but seasons in life. Um, I have small kids right now. Uh, in the home. So I have a daughter that's five. When we were doing foster care in Florida, we had three kids at one point. And so like I have small children, which means there's specific needs that small kids have. You know, I know all of us follow a guy like Kerry Newhoff and we're like, how in the world is he writing this much? And well, all his kids are grown and probably out of the house and like they're older. So they don't require time with them to learn how to ride their bike or whatever. Uh, and you know, changing diapers and stuff. That's just, that's the season that I'm in. And that's the season most of us are in on this podcast with kids. I think most of your kids are pretty young, right? So they just require a specific, you know, emotional uh, presence from you and all that. And so for me, like I realized in this church, nobody cares where I'm at in the morning in the church. So I come into the office a little later. Now, sometimes I'll get up real early and come into the office from like six to eight. And then, um, and then I'll go home like at eight thirty, eat breakfast with my wife and my daughter, uh, and then I'll come back to the office at like nine nine thirty, and like nobody nobody misses it, and so that's a way of protected family time. And then I'm a couple nights a week doing a class or something, and uh, I love whoever said you know involve your kids, Andrew. That was you, I guess. Involve your kids. I mean, my daughter's the same way. She if I'm I live in a parsonage, so if I'm walking out of the house to walk to my office, 
she's always asking like, can I come to your office? Can I come hang out? And so, you know, and she's singing in the microphones and playing the drums in the church and all that. So, you know, I just think it's, it's a matter of like prioritizing your health because the position that you're in, in your church is like, you need to be healthy to be in that position. You can't be unhealthy in your soul and lead other people and shepherd people. So can I get under that with one more like fundamental question? Because I know that there are people right now who they they don't have children yet, or maybe they're not married, but there is something I wish I would have done before all of that, that would have helped me a lot. And, and all of you have been saying it in your own way, but it really comes down to this. You need to philosophically understand what it means in your life to be successful as a pastor. Because it's it's not like running a Popeyes. It's not we need to franchise out five more and, you know, have 15 services. I mean, in a very real leadership way, we, we tend to like hang success over the numbers. And, and we know that that's a tight line we have to walk because numbers do tell stories. We can we can make that argument. But like success in the most clear vein is how obedient are you being to God in your call? And and, and, and and in that obedience, it's not necessarily about me even necessarily having the accolades. One of the most successful people in ministry I know on this planet is this lady. Um, she is at our church. She's 87 years old, three days a week. She comes and walks around the church and prays for every staff member and every congregation she could think of by name. She's successful, you know, like she's successful. And I think what I'm hearing and what I wish I would have done, I always used to think success means you're running the thing, <laughs> you know, and once you're running the thing, the thing looks good. Now we want to be excellence in everything we do, but like really our success as ministers, it is saying, I'm going to be obedient to God in this season of life, the way he's called me to be. And I'm going to trust him with the results. So to I, me, I, like, to, yeah. Oh, I was going to say to, to, jump off of that like yeah that obedience to god's calling on your life is super important when it comes to fighting what you feel are expectations from people in your church Man, yes like because you can just fall victim to being enslaved to what you think people's expectations of are are of you in your church as opposed to what god called you to do in that church so because there because i mean in a small church like me 50 people I am constantly saying to myself, like, well, am I doing enough because so-and-so probably wants to have a class, and what about this, and I should be building this, and I just have to come back to, like, no, God has called me to do this specific thing in this church, make disciples, and he's called me to lead in my home. So, And I would say, too, for young guys listening, like those of you that are youth pastors that are looking eventually at you know the possibility of senior pastorate, this needs to be a big part of the conversation when you interview. Yes. You need to have this in in your mind when you're interviewing. What are your expectations? In our notes here, we have about our wives, our wives and our children. That is same thing. What are your expectations of my wife? If you're going to a smaller church that's older, they may assume she's going to play piano and run women's ministry. <laughs> and you need to ask that question because now in my situation, this church has, it, amazingly, I've never had any of that pressure. And in past ministries, my wife was the children's director at like three of the churches I was the youth pastor at. So that's a whole nother story. But, you know, that that whole thing of being the pastor's wife or the PK, uh, they, they can experience some pressure that is is difficult. And you need to ask those questions when you're interviewing. Yeah, I think that's really good, Jeff. Growing up a PK myself, I now have five kids of my own who all identify as PKs. Uh, it's so important 
that they have a safe pace, a safe space to come to you and ask questions. I just, I didn't have that in my house growing up. I was kind of scared to, to ask my parents certain things. Uh, last week, my nine-year-old son came to me and said, daddy, is it okay if sometimes I don't like going to church? Like, yep. Sometimes daddy doesn't like going to church. Like that is a, that is a very safe question to ask. So one thing that we try to do in, in my house is create those safe spaces where they know, hey, before before they go to bed, I, I go into their rooms every night and I usually try to spend just a, just a couple minutes with each one of them and just kind of talk a little bit. And as they get older, those conversations are now very much more in depth and are now turning theological, which is a lot of fun for me. But it's fun to think about because I didn't I didn't necessarily have those types of conversations growing up as a PK and seeing three of, you know, I was the youngest of five, seeing three, my, my three older brothers essentially walk away from the church as a result of damage done to them through the church. And there's a very soft spot in my heart for PKs and for protecting them. I love, Jeff, that you brought up the, the interview idea. I did that in, in my church setting. That was one of the first things I asked was, what what do you expect of my wife and what do you expect of my kids? So we, we laid that foundation very, very early. Um, it's still my hope and prayer that my wife and kids don't feel a whole lot of pressure to constantly have to do and be at the church all the time. I want them and to just feel like every yeah. other member. No, like I, a, I like agree a, with you. Like I'm a highly sure. involved member. Mm-hmm. And then I, I also love how Andrew brought up the behind the scenes thing. That's a big yeah. deal for my kids. They get the behind the scenes on church life in a lot of ways. So Del, you and I are very different because I 100% office from home now. So my sermon writing time is often done with my three-year-old on my shoulders. And I, I've gotten used to it and I can now do it pretty well. And every that's Saturday pretty night, awesome. I'm, I'm going to give you credit because that is actually a that's an art what you're talking about right skill. there. <laughs> so Saturday nights every for the last three weeks, my son has come in and when I'm doing my final read through of my manuscript and he says, Dad, can I read a little bit of your sermon this week? So every week he gets a preview of the sermon before it's preached. He just thinks that is the coolest thing. He gets access to it before somebody else does. So just those little bitty moments that yeah, we making your kids feel like like an insider. That's yeah, cool. it's a lot of fun. And then the big thing for my wife and I, and this is the last thing here. Uh, for us is uh, calendar syncing. That has been the number one communication piece for us in my home. We have a family calendar uh, that my wife updates every month and it details um, our our stuff. And then my wife and I sync our ca- So my wife knows that I'm praying for Jose tomorrow at 11 o'clock on the phone. Like that's how detailed she knows about my day. So we know exactly. And she has is. veto power over his calendar. <laughs> she has veto power. So she has turned things bold. down. Mm-hmm. I have given her full veto that is, power over my wow. calendar. Wow. So, so, okay. So what I'm gathering is really serving your family well as a pastor means you have to love them the way they need to be loved. Because I, right. I went and did that for my wife. I was like, let me cut on the calendar for you. She's like, sure. She calls me next and she goes, cut it off. Take it off now. My phone is going off every 15 minutes. Stop it from doing that. My battery is already dead. Stop it. So like, so like, that's funny. so, that's, so funny. that's why I have the little Sunday briefings, but I think it's kind of what you said. You're loving your wife the way she needs to be loved. I know for my wife, that means oftentimes I say no for her a lot. So she doesn't have to, it's a way of, it's a way of loving. Um, and, and then if she's going to say, yes, I don't do that for her. (laughs) You know, I let her say yes. So I think adapting to like your, your church's culture too, is really important. Like, Oh gosh, I know for me, like I'm, you know, I'm in a smaller church. I'm the solo pastor. There's no other staff around. So on the one hand, like it means I can, my schedule is whatever I want it to be. So I, you know, and I don't mean this in a negative way, but I take advantage of that when it comes to like my family time. So some, 
Yeah, like I'll go. I can I can leave the office at two in the afternoon and go spend the afternoon in the park or whatever. As long as long as you know the work is getting done and the ministry is happening, like that's totally fine because it's not about hours in his place. It's about you know shepherding the flock and you know my family is part of that flock, but they're also a special piece of that flock that God has given me oversight of in a unique way. And so I'm going to spend extra time with them. Guys, this was a really good conversation. And I was like, in my mind, I was like taking mental notes of things I wanted to add. And you guys all said the things I wanted you to say. Like um, the one thing I was going to mention was like the whole interview process. And like one thing I always say, and it's not just senior pastor stuff. It's like every, every role in the church. No, agreed. If you're, if you're interviewing, you need to have this question ready. What's the expectation of my spouse? Because for, for like, for most of us, the only expectation for a pastor's wife or a pastor's husband, I guess, in some cases, a pastor's spouse is to, is to care and love for their spouse. And like, that's their job. Their job doesn't need to be. And I, and like one thing like I want to make sure is known as like, let's not just say in theory, yeah, they're free to do whatever they want. They don't have to do anything, but like in yes. practice, they should be at every event. Like I have a friend who has lamented unspoken to me, expectations will kill you. I have a friend who's lamented me. Um, he's a pastor in Florida, and um, and his wife just had a second kid, and um, and like they feel guilty because the the pastors and the elders have said, "Why is your wife not here?" And he's like, "She she's raising two very very young children. Like like she's busy. She can't come to Wednesday night youth group study because she's at home caring for my kids." You know. And so, like uh, stuff like that, it's like, man, I uh, I want to make sure that, and maybe we should do a whole episode on this. Is talk about like job interview expectations and what that you should would do be because, excellent. It's a good topic because there's there's so many uh, pastors who go into this with feeling like all the cards are in the past the church's hands when majority of the cards are actually in your hands, and you should be probably asking a lot more questions than they are because. Um, it's it's very easy for a church to hire the wrong candidate and then fire them. It's much harder to be a pastor getting hired by a wrong church and then feeling stuck, you know? And so, so knowing those questions are important. This is great. Let's uh, let's, let's transition to the final thing. The question of the day, um, our, our buddy in the Facebook group, Chris Moore, um, has has given us a bunch of questions and this was one of the most more interesting ones i thought so we can quickly answer each of us can answer this if you have one what is the craziest thing a parishioner has ever said to you should we give context or just say what they said <laughs> you should just say it just say no, it first give a little bit of context hopefully. all right i'm gonna go first because mine is ridiculously wild and we might have to cut this out so at the end of a service a woman who Technically, she wasn't a parishioner. She was there visiting for the day. She was, uh, well, I don't even want to give any more details, but she was visiting for the day. She was going to be moving on. She came up to me. She's the age of my mother, at least. And she said, uh, Pastor, can you pray for me? And I was like, oh, absolutely. In my denomination, we anoint with oil, too. So she asked if I could anoint her with oil on the head, and that detail will be important in a minute. And she said, can you pray for me and anoint me with oil? And I said, absolutely. What can I pray for you about? And she said, well, I just went to the doctor and I have a tumor in my vagina. Can you pray for me? And I was like, this was my first year as a senior pastor. I did not know what, what to do. Thank God somehow I had poker face. And I was like, 
okay uh hey so and so can you come over here hey woman leader in the church could you come over here and pray with me so yeah that's the craziest thing anybody has ever said to me and it was right after a service in front of everyone it's pretty wild wait wait, you like hinted towards something but you didn't complete it what was she suggesting that you need to anoint no 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 i was just saying i just want to make sure nobody made that connection okay okay. i was making sure nobody even thought you're not gonna cancel jeff simpson today okay we're deleting this part i thought no we're not deleting this part i wanted to know that because i I just didn't want anyone to think wait what no she asked me specifically can you anoint my forehead and then she said the the tumor was where it was wow yeah, so I'll go. I'll go next because mine is not as funny. It's more of it's like kind of sad. You young but... guys getting into older churches, be ready. Yeah, be ready for that. Um, so uh, I don't know. I don't think I shared it on this podcast. But I shared it on, on, on my, my my other podcast is where um, my very first sermon. I was probably like twenty twenty two, maybe even twenty one. It was at my church in Tampa that I was a youth pastor in, and I had the very first opportunity to preach on a Sunday service, and so I, I wore. A really cheap suit. I had. A, I, I was on stage. Oh, I remember I, this actually. It was. It was. It was crazy. And so I preached my little heart out. Don't remember what I. I'm sure it was terrible, but I got off stage, and in that church, it's a normal. I'm sure a lot of churches do this. A tradition for the senior pastor or the preaching pastor to be like in the back of the room and shake everyone's hand. Everyone tells you how great you are, or whatever. And obviously, when you're guest preaching, you get extra praise because you're not the main preacher. So, oh yeah, you're like oh you're the future or whatever, right? Um, so I got a lot of great stuff. Like it was super sweet. A lot of nice stuff that was said to me and it was really, really encouraging. Um, but there was one person who was a deacon who came up to me and the first thing he said was, um, are you ever going to shave your beard? And I had like a pretty big beard, like how I traditionally had it. And I just kind of laughed and I was like, I don't, you know, no, like I like my beard. And he said, well, you should shave your beard because with your skin complexion and the length of that beard, you look really Muslim. And he said this, you won't <laughs> succeed. He said, you won't succeed as a pastor because you look so Muslim. And I was like, and like, and then I, was like I was 22 and I was like, okay. And like, that's all I said. Like, Dude, I, I remember, speak. I remember having a long conversation with you about this when we were, I, I mean, Tampa. I mean, like looking back, I mean, it was just like, it was so, it was kind of racist. It was, it was ignorant. And then like, I've, every time I've told that story to people, people are like, ha ha, you have a sticker with that beard. Like, like, like that's your brand now or whatever. And like, and uh, I don't know, it was this, like, I, I think Andrew, you talked about this last week where you said like the last thing you want to hear someone critique you or talk to you is right before a sermon, but also right after a sermon, you got to give me like an hour buffer before you start like saying some nonsense. Because, because when he said that, I was like, what, 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 I didn't know. I thought maybe I should shave my beard. And I was like, I'm glad I talked myself out of it. Or I had to, people in my life to talk me out of it. But that was pretty hard. Cause that was like the first time I experienced like a form of racism in, uh, by, with a by, smile too, with, with a, a smile. Yeah. Oh man. And, um, and then that was also just like, it was just a wild thing to say. I've heard of other wild things, but that was one of the wildest wild things wow. that happened to me. Um, I had a guy pull me aside with my pastor in my first church and said, um, this student pastor placed defecation on the floor and made kids eat off of it. What? I was like, 
Whoa, whoa. Diaper game? Was it the diaper game? Whoa, what? I, I hadn't. The pastor was looked at me like you did. I'm like, I have no idea what reference what this this guy. No, it was. I made some kid eat off of dung. What happened was this. This is that pre-written material you get when you're green. And you're like, surely it's all written by someone who knows exactly what they're doing in mm. ministry. And it, we were going through Ezekiel. So I should. Go ahead and start there. Yeah. And good, and good they were like they were like Ezekiel was all about object lessons, so you need to use an object lesson. So they were like, just take a Snickers bar and place it on the floor and have a kid lay on his side because that's Ezekiel had to do. He had to lay on his side and cook his food over dung. So Can I just placed a Snickers. Yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah, so so like I did that. And at the end of the lesson, the kid thought it would be funny. He picked up the Snickers bar and ate it. And yeah, that's yeah, <laughs> that's the it. girls, the girls it, screamed and it yep, was, oh, go man. home and tell their high ranking deacon father that I brought in human dung deacon. and made a child eat off of human dung. Wow. So, yeah, that was I think that was the one that caught me off guard the most. That would be a great <laughs> band name. High ranking deacon. I, I, like it. <laughs> I had uh, an older church member tell me that he uh, was just waiting to die. Like, hey, good morning. How are you? Well, to be honest with you, I'm just waiting to die. It's like, oh, well. Oh, all right. Have a great day. Like, what, what What do you say? That's, this was at my previous church, and his wife had just died. And so I you know, had greeted him, and um, he just went into why, you know, he just didn't see the point anymore and was just waiting. But like, poor him, yes. But how do you get out of that conversation? You don't. (laughs) You just. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so sorry, man. Wow. Mine was uh, last year. Andrew, you were actually present for this. It was during a very emotional and heated congregational meeting. Um, I don't know if you've ever been a part of those, but they can can get out of hand really quickly. Uh, especially on the heels of the founding pastor of your church resigning on Good Friday. He opted not to be at this congregational meeting. So there was a lot of question marks up in the air. There were some very confused members of the church and one older gentleman stood up and granted, I was sitting on stage with my elders fielding these questions that were just being thrown at us. Hindsight probably should have tackled that meeting a little bit differently, but he stood up. He said, I distinctly remember donating $10,000 so we could send mail outs to the surrounding neighborhood about our church. And instead, you guys took that money and paid this kid, then pointed at me, so you could keep him on staff. And now our founding pastors resigned. That was some Whoa. good connection, though. I just, yeah, I don't even. I don't know if I said anything. I think there was a lot of blank staring. I remember my wife being in the back of the room sobbing uncontrollably because like she had never heard me like just get verbally attacked in a public setting like that. It was it was brutal. Anytime you get anytime you get called this guy in a meeting, it's bad. And yeah, I think the, it might have been in this kid. This kid. Oh, and this kid. Yeah. Ref- and then it, he kept referring to you know, Tim's all right for a youth pastor. Yeah, he <laughs> said that several times. That was really nice. <laughs> it was- are they still at the church? They are not. No. Surprise. Uh, the one guy. The one guy's still alive. Wow. 
If, if you're in the Facebook group, um, I want to. He- we're we're going to have a post um, on Tuesday. I want to I want to hear this from other people. What's the craziest thing a parishioner has ever said to you? Um, uh, I'm sure I'm sure the youth pastors in there have some amazing ones because students say the most redonkulous things. Right. It's yep. it's crazy. But like um, but like, yeah, it's just amazing what people would say when especially after or before a sermon. Like it's just don't talk to me. <laughs> That's not true. But like it's like the worst time. How many to, times to, have you ever heard something right after a sermon and felt like saying, did you hear what I just said? I know <laughs> so many times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, hey, uh, if you are um, uh, listening to this, thank you so much. Uh, we really appreciate it. Please uh, share this show with someone else. Let another pastor know that about Practically Pastoring. Uh, rate and review. Follow us on Instagram. Join the Facebook group. Remember, when we get to 500, we'll give away some shirts. And you can help us and possibly get one of these shirts by sharing the Instagram and the Facebook group to other people in ministry with that being so said, i'm so nervous about my story going out <laughs> no it's amazing it's amazing with that being said i'm frank gill i am jeff simpson i'm delmar pete i am andrew larson and i'm Timothy Miller. and we are practically pastors see you next time